Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And a very warm welcome to you to uh, the Parish of Calvary St. George's. The month of October is uh, our season of stewardship, and everything revolves around uh, the gospel as always, and then our financial response to it. And um, when I was planning this uh, sermon series, the moment I realized, and the theme for stewardship, I didn't uh, look at the readings, the gospel, and um, the, um, the Old Testament reading today. And uh, the gospel reading is a very heavy reading, actually, in light of the fact that we live in a society where 50% of our culture is divorced. Maybe some of you have been divorced. And you get this very, very heavy-duty reading that needs to be interpreted properly and, uh, and is really only properly interpreted through uh, the law and the gospel. Uh, we um, making that distinction. Uh, we had one time a member, uh, this passage came up when I was a curate, and uh, I was scheduled to preach, you know, put the new guy in charge of this passage. And then um, and, uh, I remember somebody came up and was like, do not preach on that passage. Whatever they called me were like, do not preach on that particular passage. Uh, but the point of this passage is, is that what Jesus is doing, what is he doing here? Well, he is um, basically the, 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 uh, the, the, the injunction that Moses gave was not part of the law of God. It was given because of the hardness of their hearts. And what happened was is that there were two primary schools of thought in Judaism at that time. Um, and uh, one of the schools said that basically um, all I had to do to divorce my wife was um, uh, to say, um, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And it was done. And um, the um, other one was it had to be like, you know, she can oversalt the meat too much. I mean, there were all of these ridiculous rules and regulations which permitted a man to issue his wife a certificate of divorce. And you see, the problem with that was is to be a divorced woman in that society was to be regulated to um, basically your job from there on out was um, to be a prostitute. No one would touch you if you were a divorced woman. And Jesus is articulating the problem with this. Um, and what he is doing is, is he is placing men and women here on even footing before the law. You know, it was always the woman's fault. And uh, what Jesus is doing here is saying, no, 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 no. Everybody before the law of God um, is in trouble, including you men. And so, and the point is, is that this is a, um, a laying down of the law to its highest pitch, Um, And this then begins to shed light on the concept of why the child would be there and be present. Not because let the children come to me because they're innocent, but let the children come to me because they are in need. You know, no one is going to stand before God and say, you know, what Lord, I basically believed in you and I wasn't divorced, you know, and therefore I'm pretty good. No, uh, we stand uh, before God solely because of the righteousness of Christ alone. And, um, and what he has given us. And so, and what Jesus is doing is taking the law to its highest pitch so that you, men and women, married and single, divorced and married, uh, might know uh, the sweetness of the gospel. And that there is no sin, there is no act that is so grave that cannot separate you from the love of God. And that realization comes about profoundly when you see yourself as a child, as a child, not as one who is innocent, but as one who is in need of God for everything. And really, this is uh, kind of what we're all about here at Calvary St. George's. And uh, this year's theme, 
the moment I realized came up because earlier this year I stumbled upon some statistics released by the National Center of Charitable Statistics, which illustrates trends in American giving in this country. And the truth is, is that Americans are the most generous people probably on the planet Earth. We give to museums, we give to social clubs, we give to education, we even give to foreign aid. We also, more than most countries, support our religious institutions. In 2016, 45% of Americans gave to a religious institution. However, it was on average, the gift was only 1.5% of their gross income. And this stuck out to me, and it stuck out to me because of the commentary that revolved around it. And one of the, the commentaries was that part of the low percentage is because Americans give to so many things. And many who work in development made the point that Americans give, but their giving is unfocused. It's interesting. I, you know, Theologically speaking, I would call it the fixation of our hearts. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. The heart really governs absolutely positively everything, doesn't it? When it comes to our generosity, and our hearts are tugged and they're pulled in all sorts of different directions. But people give generously the moment they realize that they are loved despite themselves. They give generously. We give to because we want to help and we want to be a part of something. But we give generously. We give focused when we realize that we are loved despite ourselves. And I first came upon this truth several years ago. And I've shared this story several times. It's one of my uh, back pocket stories. But um, I used to get the alumni magazine for the University of Arizona. And uh, in one of these articles, there was a New York City businessman who gave the astronomy program, the University of Arizona, an extremely generous gift so that the head of this big giant telescope project could complete his research. Now, on first reading of this article, I thought to myself, wow, we will finally be able to measure wave particles at the edge of the universe. The world is a much better place. (laughs) But... As I read more closely, you realize that this businessman could have cared less about wave particles. Instead, he gave generously to the astronomy department because when he was an undergraduate, this now senior professor, who at the time was a lowly TA, saw this guy through one of the worst periods of his life during his undergraduate years that carried him through all the way to Wharton Business School. And he graduated from there. And the businessman, his giving was focused, this focused gift to the astronomy professor because all those many years ago, his heart had been touched. This is my first point. Generous giving... Focused giving always is the fruit of a touched heart, or as we say in Christianity, a converted heart. Your heart has been converted. The church in Corinth was a church much like the American church. It was not focused. It was all over the map. One day they were talking about relationships. One day they were talking about topics in society. One day they were talking about finances, whatever it was. It was all over the map. It wasn't focused. 
So in this first letter to Corinthians, St. Paul, um, is, uh, he writes a number of things. He encourages them, he warns them um, of different things, and all of this is to bring them, for the sake of guiding them, to this moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This place of focus. And we see St. Paul focus in our reading today on the main thing, which is the gospel. Listen, he says, for I delivered to you, in the Greek is, for I delivered to you of chief importance, of first importance, what I also received. Okay, I didn't come up with this. This isn't like St. Paul's tips for life. This is something I received from outside of me that converted me as well. But this I received of chief importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul is reminding them, this Corinthian church, that the focus of the church should be the gospel. And they're all over the map talking about tongues and prophecy and all of this stuff. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is of chief importance. The gospel, that Christ has died for you, that Christ is risen for you, and that Christ will come again for you. Because this focus is, as he writes earlier in this, in this epistle, the power of God unto salvation. It's the proclamation of this message that is the power of God unto salvation. And you see, this is my second point. Every religion tells you what you give to God in order to satisfy you. And according to most Americans, that's roughly about 1.5% of your income. However, Christianity, the gospel, which St. Paul said was of chief importance, says there is no part of you that is independent of God. Your very breath is a complete and total gift. But more importantly, your salvation, your standing before him, is total gift. Let the children come unto me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And nothing you do, not only a gift of 1.4%, can disqualify you from it. And when that focused message, when it grasps your heart, that you are totally loved, totally forgiven despite the fact that you're also totally known? Well, this frees us up to focus our giving generously. Generously, so that this message might be freely proclaimed to the very ends of the earth. And I want to say that focused giving, generous giving is a response to true love and true forgiveness. It's never a response to a metaphor. For example, the generous gift to the astronomy department was the response to the truth, not a metaphor, not a legend, but to the truth that this businessman had been truly loved by a TA who's now a professor. And I bring this up, the importance of the truth of this. I bring this up because several years ago, and I'm sure the number has only risen, But a Barna poll found that 42% of American Christians 
believed that the fact of the resurrection of Jesus was not necessary to their faith, but rather instead the importance of Christianity manifested itself in the reformed life. Uh, what I was actually doing out there to make a difference in the world. That was key. And I bring this up because for the longest time, I was in that group. I was into partnering with God, and I thought that that was the main thing, that we're making a difference. Now, a changed life is great, and it can be a fruit, and making a difference out there is amazing. Like giving, it's important, but it is not necessary to being a Christian. But I thought at the time, I was part of this group, the resurrection didn't really matter, you know. What mattered was what was happening to me, and was I improving. And I thought Christianity was great because it worked for people. And it was working for me, and I was dreaming dreams. And I was helping usher in the kingdom, God's kingdom, of love and justice and hospitality. And, you know, and I was doing this in my particular area of influence. And, uh, you know, and I was probably a very pompous busybody and a bear to be around. But never mind the fact I was making a difference. And Christianity was totally working for me. And I was a model of Christian piety and social concern. And the Lord really needed me out there. I mean, what was he going to do without me? And then you begin to understand what the opening chapter of Job is all about. The problem with feely Christianity. The problem with me-focused religion. It doesn't have an answer when the spit hits the fan. And my life began to literally fall apart literally fall apart. And the moment that things weren't going my way was the moment that I began to question God's faithfulness. It was the moment that I began to question God's love. The moment I began to question God himself. Because the truth, the historical fact that Jesus was risen from the dead for my justification, which is the very heart of the gospel. The gift of true love given to me was not central to my faith at all. I had made the terrible mistake, which me-focused religion will do, of attaching the validity of the good news of Jesus to the ups and downs of my life. Christianity is the only religion that hinges on this historical fact. If Jesus be not raised from the dead, your faith is in vain. And so totally discouraged, I called my childhood priest. His name was Tom Phillips. And I told him, Father Tom, Christianity just isn't working for me. I don't feel it. And besides, if it's all about working for me and making a difference, what is the difference between us and every other religion out there? And every well-meaning atheist who is just as good at being good as I am. To which he pulled this passage out from 1 Corinthians and said, Jacob, Christianity is important not because of anything you will ever do. 
Christianity is important because it is true. None of the apostles were martyred because Christianity was working for them. I mean, there's a famous woodcut from Fox's Book of Martyrs, which has the first Christians going in to be fed to the lions. And I have a friend who's written down below, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I mean, this is heavy duty. Why these people gave their life, why these people did what they did, they gave their life because Jesus actually rose from the dead. They gave it all because he appeared to the twelve and then to five hundred and then to James and then to the rest of the apostles and finally to St. Paul. And the only thing they had been given was this truth. And why it's so profound is because dead people don't rise from the dead. Yet one has broken the mold. And because he has broken the mold, God clearly in that word made flesh says, I am for you, I have forgiven you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. And this is my third point. It is this truth that Jesus has died for you. He's risen for you and is coming again for you. That changes absolutely everything. Let me close with this. At Calvary St. George's, our team is totally focused on that historical truth and that proclamation because we believe that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead for our justification should influence every facet of the ministry here at this church. We believe real healing can be found for your real wounds You don't have to fake it until you make it because Christ's real wounds have, are, and will heal us. We believe in real community, not for the sake of community's sake. And many of you are experiencing it through devotion groups and our various programs that we have running throughout the week and on Sundays. But we believe in real community here, not because it's forced, but because we believe God has taken the many and by the shed blood of Jesus has made us a new people and has made us one. And we believe in sharing the truth of Jesus with our children. We believe in sharing the gospel with our children so that right from the start they might know God as St. Paul describes him in 2 Corinthians as the God of all comfort and mercy and that they might not have the same baggage with God as some of us had instilled in ourselves. But I am so thankful for the way God's real love has captured this congregation's heart. And it is a joy to serve here with its emphasis on the gospel. And I want to encourage you to once again respond to the gift of the gospel. Let it capture your heart. And this year make a focus pledge to the ministry of Calvary St. George's. God bless you all. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.